0: Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Okay, buckle up. This one is a classic. We get to hear from punk legend and one of the greatest bass players of all time, the one and only Mike Watt. I think everyone pretty much knows Mike starts out in the Minutemen in the late 70s, early 80s with George Hurley on drums and the late great D. Boone on guitar and they are unlike anything else that is happening. But they're contributing to that Southern California punk rock scene that's happening at the time. D Boone, of course, dies tragically in a car wreck. Mike's not sure what to do. He and Georgie eventually get together with Ed from Ohio and start Firehose. And that keeps them going for a while. Well, eventually, I mean, if you look at Mike Watts, like Wikipedia page, there are literally dozens of projects on there. I mean, he's always got like four or five things going on at one time involving all kinds of people. Well his latest, one of the latest projects I should say, is a band called the Jump Started Plowhards. And they just put out their first album, this is it, round one, the, is the name of the album. It's the first in its potential series. This song right here is called Making It All Settle Down. I like this track. And um, it, it's something that he's doing with guitarist and singer Todd, I hope I'm saying this name right, Congolari, I hope, and a, and then a rotation of drummers. And so that's one of the main things that's going on right now. But we talk about everything in here. We talk about when he played with Iggy and the Stooges. We talk about porno for Pyros. We talk about some of the projects he's done. I mean, the music is coming so fast and furious that it would have stopped the momentum to insert every little thing that we talk about. So we're just going to kind of touch on some of the highlights. He even plays on a Kelly Clarkson record at one point. As anyone who has ever paid attention to the Minutemen or Mike or anything that he's done... There is no one on earth like Mike Watt, thank goodness. The man is one of a kind and he's a legend. And I love this conversation because you get to just see how this man's mind works. It's the best. Anyway, I'm so grateful to talk to him. He called me from his home in, where else? San Pedro, California. In, uh, you know, I thought I knew Mike Watt pretty well and getting uh, ready to talk with you, I realized there's there an overwhelming amount of projects that you are uh, constantly involved in. And it's admirable. And I want to ask you about some of the philosophy about who you give your time to and why. But let's start with this newest one, Jumpstarted Plowhards. I I really like this. And I got to admit, Mike, some of your stuff's a little weird for me. Some of it, I love it. Some of it, I can't quite get to it. But I really like this album. Tell me about the Jumpstarted Plowhards. Well, you know, I
1: found, and maybe this is, kind of uh, involved with just the nature of bass guitar, but there's kind of four ways to do music with other people. Like the way I started with d boon Collaboration. Mm-hmm. We're 12 years old, right? And you start mm-hmm. playing with each other. And that you kind of can only have once. You can't ever really get that back. Mm-hmm. But you can have kind of collaborate mode that's kind of what I do with those two guys in Italy, with El Sonio de Mariano. I. Mm-hmm. I only write about a third of the stuff. Then there's the stuff about you giving direction. Like, for example, my operas with my second men, missing men, black gang. Mm-hmm. You, you, should, you usually can tell because I put my name in the hands. <laughs> so you know right. who to paint. You know, so <laughs> you know who to put the finger on. <laughs> right. There's another way of taking direction, like uh, with Porno for Pyro guys, Mm -hmm. uh, Jay Neskis, In the Fog, 125 months with the Stooges, and uh, Tav Falco. And just lately, I just got back from a tour with Flipper. So Mm -hmm. there, and then I found out about that kind of thing. There's actually two ways of doing that. You you replace the dead guy, and you do old song. (laughs) You know, that ain't bad if you love the music, like like being a big fan of Stooges' music, then there's no problem. To, to make a career out of it like that, yeah, it's pretty kind of weird. Yeah. But getting to play in Flipper or with, uh, you know, people have lost members, but you really like their music. Yeah. And there's this other thing. I, I did a tour last spring. Well, I got to record with the, this guy, Mike Begetta. He lives in Knoxville, Tennessee, and Jim Keltner was on the drums. Mm-hmm. Incredible. You know, which I was so scared, but but this is where you you're taking direction, but the guy's actually writing music for you in in this now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, you're not replacing the dead guy doing old songs. <laughs> Those are ways of doing it. Now, I've taken it into this other kind of way of of the collaboration instead of just saying okay. I'm going to write a, th- like, for example, the Sonia de with Okay, th- we're a trio, and I'll write a third of the material.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The other way, and this goes back to the first opera, really, with Nels Klein, because you know Nels Klein comes from improvisation.
0: Yeah, he must if he's playing with you the way you guys do it, for sure.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even before he was playing with me, he was trying to get a free jazz thing. Mm-hmm. here SoCal. He ended up getting it really going to New York City, but... They have a dip in his atmosphere or something. He tried really hard here, but this idea of playing with a guy who can make up shit right on the
2: spot—it's
1: mm-hmm. about the closest I could get to being with D Boone again because I never had to teach D Boone, right? Because we grew up mm-hmm. playing with each other, so you just played and he would play. So this idea of—and this is kind of controversial, I guess. Even a, must be even worse if you're a drummer. Because there's this idea that bass players and drummers can't write songs mm. on, on their instruments. Like even uh, Charles Mingus, right? When he wrote songs, he used the piano, not the bass. And right. Hamilton, I remember uh, a bebop uh, drummer in the 60s trying to get songwriting credits. And you're a drummer, you can't write. It's crazy, <laughs> right?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I found that writing songs with only the bass it really opens up things f- for the collaboration thing, where where you're given some kind of direction. You know, there's rhythm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: harmonic. There's definitely a dynamic. But it's still much more open than a piano or a guitar, where where your collaborators got a lot more leeway, I think. And, and so you're more the launch pad, the springboard.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I, when I when I write these things, I've I've written whole albums for people with just bass guitar. Yeah, and uh, for example, uh, a couple of years ago, the the Big Walnuts Yonder project w- w- included Dale's client.
0: That was so good. There. Know, yep. Just gave
1: those guys uh songs using bass, and then they could invent all their stuff. So that's kind of what I did here with Jump Started Plow Hearts, John. Okay. Uh, I did a tour. Todd, he's actually a Torrance guy, skater and stuff. And then he started a label and a band, and he decided to move to Pedro in the nineties. I was torn so much. I didn't know this whole scene developed. They called it Porchcore. It was over on Fourth oh, Street, Cafe, yeah. and they're putting on. Ha- a sh- Bands was torn without even playing clubs, just playing houses, pads. Really? Wow. Okay. Okay. Part of this kind of scene, because you know the Pedro scene was what? Us and the other two, Minute Men. That's it, pretty much, yeah. (laughs) Really tiny. So this whole thing, I ended up getting Raul Morales for my missing man and stuff. But Todd, I I like this idea of people moving to Pedro, actually, Mm -hmm. to be part of the music scene. So I I went a couple years ago, I went and did an I-5 tour with his, his Toys That Kill and My Missing Man. Mm-hmm. So it was a uh, state of Oregon, Washington, and California. And during that tour, I had him play on a Blue Oyster Cult song with us, you know? Like mm-hmm. I did uh, since I was 13 with D. Boone. I think we were 13 when we started playing this Blue Oyster Cult, The Red and the Black. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a legacy, you know? Sure. I'll, you, I'll play some old Blue Oyster Cult with you. And and when that we did that, I said, you know, Todd, I would like to write you a bunch of songs on bass. And that's that's how no, you know, jump start right? If your battery's dead, and somebody else, right? Right, right. It's hard, like you, somebody has to just give you a tap on the shoulder and you're ready to go, right? Yeah. So that's the idea of the name. So he let me name it. I gave him 15. Actually, they're not even demos. Those 15 songs I, I gave him were the actual bass that you're hearing on the record. No way. That the one thing I asked for, I said, please use a different drummer for each two. That so we was got- your idea. Because I thought that, I just figured you couldn't find a drummer.
0: That's a really ingenious approach to this music. Every every song has a different drummer.
1: Yeah, well, you know, there's part of the rhythm section, guys, writing the songs, yeah. parts of the songs. So. Actually, it's Todd that really, because no matter what you do on the bass, you know, unless... I don't know, walk on the wild side. You get a really fucking uh, signature bass line going. It gets changed by the instruments that mm. come in there. Mm. But it is trippy going the other way because, you know, traditionally the bass is probably, except for R&B and stuff, it's probably the last thing added. Yeah. And uh but it was the first thing, you know? It was the actual <laughs> lump of clay that the guy had to work with.
4: That's great. And uh,
1: that's what Todd did. And then, yeah, well... Another twist on it was, let's do a an, uh, drummer. And, and by the way, Todd, you're going to direct all this. I, I gave you the geo, here it is. Now you <laughs> take it from here. And just to see what happened, you know, without, right, what I'm try, talking about is, John, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to set up situations where I don't really have the end realized. Really? is yeah. that a,
0: is that a self-imposed challenge to yourself? Is that how you like to approach music today? You don't know where it's going, but the journey is what really gets you off?
1: Well, it depends, you know. Yeah. Now, if it's if it's going to be a band with my name in the title, mm. no, I know where it's fucking going. <laughs> okay, I'm all about that. But you can't learn everything always being the boss. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think, I was telling you about these different ways to work with other people in music. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot, a lot like other things in real life. You, 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 you exchange roles. Mm-hmm. Now it's your turn to do this. I, it came to me you know, I come from arena rock, right? Me and D. Boone's first gig we saw was T-Rex. Mm-hmm. Uh saw Blue Oyster Cold about ten times. Never got to see Creed and Sly. But uh. anyway, that was just this, you know, you're at some big giant building and they're really tiny and the sound's terrible. When <laughs> we found out about clubs and the movement, and, you're, and here's, you're watching the Germs play this really original music, then they get done and another band gets up there, and here's Pat Smear standing right next to you, and you mm-hmm. could talk with this guy. <laughs> I, we had never been in a situation like that. You know, so I, it, it just this whole idea of how music works changed when I, j- I d- did the movement. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I'm a minute man. I'm playing with my buddy, you know, and then he gets killed. And all, all these things change. All of a sudden, music, yeah, I lost the guy, but it becomes like this is how I make a living.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And uh, but okay, you know, get into it for that, yeah. But how do I keep it interesting <laughs> So, these are the kinds of the methods here, right?
0: Let me, you mentioned it, and I was going to touch on this later, and, and I want to do this sensitively. But you're somebody, I mean, you have never really been mainstream. I mean, whether it's the Minutemen or Firehose or all these things, I mean, you dabble like porno for pyros, and I think did you play bass on a Kelly Clarkson record?
1: Yeah, I think I did six songs.
4: I hope the ring you gave to her turns her finger green. I hope when you're in bed with her, you think of me. I would never wish bad things, but I don't wish you well Could you tell?
1: These little dashes or these little sprinkles of commercialism in there? Yeah, I didn't know. I, I, uh, the producer told me this lady uh, won a game show or something, and <laughs> she, she actually could really sing. Oh, she's I, great. Yeah. Studio, and mm-hmm. and they w- w- were really loose with me, and they let me try with all kind, of, even fuzz on the bass, whatever. Uh-huh. It, it, yeah, maybe it was kind of immersed, but as far as I was going into it, it was kind of like a experimental situation sure. yeah you're those, you're infiltrating from the inside you know i got to tell you i john i gotta tell you about that kind of work in music uh-huh they already got the song done you got to go in there you gotta learn the song you got to come up with a part and then you got to perform it everybody's standing there looking at you it's it's kind of a pants shitter <laughs> i can see that i don't know a little bit it's, it's good for you i think you know to grow some of course uh, some shit man out to do it 100% of the time oh my god I think I would get ulcer yes
0: but you've you've pieced together this 40 year career almost entirely on the underground
1: it's almost yeah. all grassroots
0: still, it's all street still in the
1: underground still in the underground there's different ways to do it yeah so I, how does someone piece together a, a, a career sometimes it. collaborating sometimes taking the place of the dead dude and doing old songs yeah but how does like times do you... like this with a guy, a skater, right. a guy who's doing hardcore, and hey, what can you do with songs that are hundred percent bass and it's not a right. reggae band? Right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean, right. And, and 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 that's how I could stay relevant. Yeah, that's how I could stay in the moment by by c- collaborating with cats. Of course, I got to have my own things, and I got records coming with my Missing Man and Second Man, two bands I put together for my second and third operas. Uh, now I'm just going to make them records that are a collection of tunes because I love playing with them. Sure. They realize those missions, which, which what you, what you do is, I've, and this is pr- probably the big theme of the third opera. You know, it's about middle age and kind of reconciling things and figuring out, you know, life is a classroom, it, you know, uh-huh. make it interesting.
3: Yeah.
1: Oh, what a classroom of 125 months with the Stooges! Can you imagine that classroom?
3: No, no, no I can't.
1: <laughs> you know incredible, incredible yeah. Yeah. kinds of things. So, I kind of feel a debt to the movement, what mm-hmm. you call underground, you know. Since yeah. they gave yeah. such latitude, why? What am I going to just? Oh, this was just some kind of stepping stone. I, I like those kind of ethics I learned in that stuff. There you go. <laughs> I just try to keep on keeping on. Yeah, love that. That's it. Yeah, you've never, so you've never really
0: sold out. And so I wonder if, now forgive me, if this is too sensitive of a question, you tell me, but I'm wondering where Mike Watts' biggest paycheck came from. Was it Corona being the theme song for Jackass? Hey gang, let me break in here for a minute, take care of a little bit of business and give you a chance to keep listening to Corona. Classic tune, classic tune. First of all, I want to say Happy Thanksgiving. This is my favorite holiday of the year by miles and miles. I'm not a big Halloween guy. Of course, I love Christmas, but there's just so much responsibility. This one is just food and family and football, and that's all I need. Um, When you listen to this, we are on our way on Wednesday, the day before, driving to southern Utah. My folks live in St. George, Utah, down about 100 miles from Las Vegas in the southwest corner of Utah. And we usually go down there every year for Thanksgiving and spend it with them. And my brother and his wife and my sister and her family, who also live in northern Utah around Salt Lake City, come down and we spend the week together. And uh, I love it. And it's weird. I was thinking about this recently. There always ends up being a big argument or I end up making somebody – I have this this ability and I don't know how I do it that I upset people without trying, like, constantly – Do you ever find that out about yourself, that you go through life thinking everything's fine and come to find out you've offended everybody or you didn't react the way you were supposed to or your body language was off or you were too loud and you ended up hurting someone's feelings or offending them or making them angry or not saying or doing the right thing at the exact right moment? I am that guy and it is totally under the microscope when I'm home for Thanksgiving. I don't know why I love Thanksgiving so much, but that's what always ends up happening. So anyway. Uh, that's where we'll be this week. Um, I wanted to read some new reviews and, uh, we got a new review finally on iTunes. It's been a while. Thank you. And this one is from fencing coach. I don't think I know who fencing coach is. I used to work with a guy that did fencing, but I know he, I didn't know him that well. I know he doesn't listen to this podcast, so I don't know who this is. Five stars, a genuine love of music. I discovered this podcast through rock solid. Ah, And really enjoy the unique combination of interviews, music, and compelling topics. John asks terrific questions, and the interviewees really seem to open up to him. Most of all, the genuine love of music shines through, and I appreciate hearing someone share that enthusiasm. Thank you very much, fencing coach. By the way, you mentioned rock solid. Um, On Thanksgiving Day, the interview that, uh, or the conversation that Pat Francis and I had eight months ago about Billy Joel, it's finally coming out. So if you don't already listen to Pop- to Rock Solid, which would surprise me, because I think we're all sort of in the same community here, but if you don't, go look up Rock Solid on Thanksgiving Day. The episode coming out that day is Pat and I talking about Billy Joel. I hope you like it. Uh, we got a couple new uh, Facebook reviews, or recommends, I should say. I want to read those, too. <clears throat> One is from our buddy David Marshall. Dave has been a long-time listener. We love Dave. He was the one who requested the Wooden Tops a long time well, like in the first year. So anyway, I've been listening to John do his thing for years now and always love being in, being surprised by who he interviews. It's a perfect show for those of us who find merit in artists we, who made a splash but for whatever reason couldn't maintain probably because the general public puts out puts up with crap music yeah that's snobby says david uh it dawned on me recently that john could do this endlessly and i hope he does i think part of the fun is that john is is a fan that could be more or that could be me or you doing the interviews but it's not and it won't be again from dave keep up great work thank you thanks dave we love dave over here and then brian prentice another longtime listener of ours Uh, Every time I listen to this podcast, I think, why didn't I think of that? It's a brilliant concept and something that, to my knowledge, no one else is doing. I love how John rotates between more radio-friendly or mainstream artists and the totally obscure You Had Me at Murray Murray Attaway of Guadalcanal Diary, says Brian, and conducts interviews as a fan without devolving into sycophancy, a la Chris Farley interviewing Paul McCartney on SNL. Thank you, Brian, for saying that. Yes, I do my very best not to fall into Chris Farley, even though he's probably one of the funniest people who have ever lived. Um, also, I want to mention there may be... So we have a deep dive in the can, and there may be a promo mode happening soon, too. I'm set to record it the day this episode comes out, and if it does end up happening, uh, that'll be in the can, too. I, it all is depends on Yan and his schedule and what, if he's able to get these things out, it's totally up to him. Uh, I don't put pressure on him that way anymore, anymore, but, uh, anyway, so you may see one or both of those things later this week. Okay. And then as I always say, if you want to support the show, get on Amazon, type in the, the hustle podcast, merch or shirts or pop sockets or sweatshirts or whatever. Um, go in there and buy his shirt. That's a nice way or pop socket or whatever. That's a nice way to take care of us and let us know you're out there. Okay. And please keep the reviews coming. Um, A couple of recently, a couple of other podcasts with the word hustle have popped up on iTunes and it keeps pushing us back. So we're not like in the top four or five that pop up when you type in hustle. Sometimes, but not always. It's these other things. So we got to combat this guys. I need your help. So please write a review. Five stars is nice, but I, I really, honestly don't care. You can write, you can be as critical as you want. I feel like no one ever does four star reviews or three star reviews, and you can by all means do that if you want. Okay, whatever you want. Be true to yourself. We will love you anyway. All right, let's get back to Mike Watt. Was it the porno? Was it the Iggy
1: era? When you know when did Mike Mike Watt really do well? John. All the Corona money went to D. Boone's pop. D. Boone wrote that song. Oh, okay. I, I made that happen so he could help his father, who had emphysema. Mm. With that, he wasn't here to help him. Yeah. But he could help him through his song. Yeah. Okay, so Mike Watt didn't get any of that. Amazing. Uh, Mike Watt gets most of his bones from playing gigs, right? Yeah. And uh, probably the biggest band I played with was the Stooges. Yeah. But everybody's been pretty kind to me that yeah. um, when, when you're the side mouse kind of guy uh, <laughs> you know what i mean you give giving it, yeah. it all to people uh, i haven't done it that much you know i'm i'm yeah. kind of cheesy i like to do it with music that i really like and i can give it my all uh uh so i love uh, it okay if you do a tour with a lot of gigs you're gonna probably make you know i don't take days off so mm-hmm. uh When you ain't playing, you're paying, I think was an old (laughs) That's That's right. That's where I've learned a lot of the economics from was was vaudeville.
0: Oh, really? Interesting.
1: Yeah, working towns, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: You know, if it's fall, you do a a clockwise loop around the U.S. If it's (laughs) springtime, it's counterclockwise. (laughs) I love it. That's great. Stuff like that. Okay. Get down to the nuts and bolts of the thing, but... The Corona was debuting, at getting to help his dad out. Okay, that's great.
0: Um, now let me tell you, I discovered the Minutemen probably like a lot of people did when I read the book "Our Band Could Be Your Life."
1: Mike Azarud.
0: What's that? Yes, My, Mike Azarud. Yes,
1: it was really good. He wrote that because at the time, what it, Nirvana people were finding out, right? And, and yep. some kind of a revisionist people were saying, "Yeah, Sex Pistols and Nirvana, nothing in between." Yeah, and Michael, like, kind of shed some light on that period yep yeah
0: that was that was a really um, inspiring book for me because it was a lot of bands that I vaguely had heard of but didn't really know how important they were and so I missed Minutemen in its heyday and I want you to tell me why was d Boone special I mean he's obviously I know that he was a big part of the foundation of who you became but he still plays a huge part in your life, obviously. Why? What For those of us who were late to the game, what did we miss, missing out on d Boone.
1: You know, college radio was... It took a little while. Like, the R.E.M. guys kind of broke it open for the college radio. Before right. that, you know, the punk movement... Uh, well, in the seventies, it was kind of glitter and glam people up in Hollywood, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about SoCal, New York City, obviously bigger scene. Uh, San Francisco, the city up there, they they had a bigger scene. But our scene was some of the glitter and glam people that met up in Hollywood on the weekends, right? Right. And, and then, in the, when the early eighties came, it was uh, little kids in the suburbs uh, doing hardcore, and so those are the two kinds. And then, I think by College radio, by uh, DJs getting their own shows and playing the, their own music—that—that—that—that that, kind of happens more in the fire hose days. Mm-hmm. And so, the Minutemen didn't have that kind of exposure,
2: mm-hmm.
1: so you had to be at a gig where the, you know, up in Hollywood at the Grandia Room, or 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 seeing us open for Black Flag at the Ukrainian Hall, you know, <laughs> along with the police riot. Right. <laughs> So I I think it was just weird times uh, for the Minuteman and why people didn't get to see them, whereas with Firehose, it was a different era, and Mm -hmm. more people were uh, aware. Mm -hmm. Uh, Boone himself, uh, strange kind of guitar. You know, when I first met him when we were 12, uh, the only rock band he had heard of was Creedence Clearwater Revival. (laughs) John Ford. (laughs) In fact, you know, his mother said, right away you know you're gonna make a band and you're gonna play bass i didn't even know what the fuck a bass was and you know i couldn't He didn't use the album covers you know, you, you, you know not, not to hold the records and so they're on the hardwood floor and the great juice and shit you need seven quarters on the tone on to keep it from skipping and i can't i can't the little plastic stereo thing i can't hear you know, what stu cook is doing. i can hear nowadays but yeah. not in those days. So. I'm looking. I am looking at the album covers, and I'm noticing the singers' shirts. And I thought, wow, maybe if I wear flannels, D. Boone will still like me. That's so, what it is. Oh, I've always wondered, huh? That's what it came from. And, and 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 then, so, but I could hear bass on Cream. So mm-hmm. I turn him on to Cream, and I could hear Blue Oyster Coat and Alice Cooper, but especially that ink stuff in England, like uh, Live at Leeds, Who, John Entwistle, mm-hmm. Geezer Butler with the Black uh, Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Even Pete Quaife and uh, Chas Chandler from uh, Kinks and Animals, the Trevor Boulder with B- David Bowie, you mm-hmm. know, uh, these guys I could really hear the bass, and they 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 helped me a lot. But I got to say, it's it's a real personal thing. It was just getting to play with your buddy, you know, mm-hmm. after school. I mm-hmm. uh, had no idea about doing this in front of people, John. That right. that, that only came possible when we saw you know, our first punk gig and just my mouth fell open and I, I looked at him, I said, we could do this.
3: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, whoa, but it wasn't like that was our first playing. this is maybe six years down the road. So, but like I was telling you at the beginning, you can't really have that back when that's gone. Yeah. But I think a way you keep a guy alive like that is, is you think about it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so, you know, and I try not to think about him like just total nostalgia and stuff. It's more like, you know, asking questions. You know, he never tells me shit. You know, he wants me to think about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> are you, uh, I don't even, I mean, this may be yeah. too far fetched. Are you spiritually minded at all? Do you, are you someone who feels like his presence or his spirit is there with you, guiding you, or is it
1: not like that? I don't know. Oh. I don't, I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm open to the whole fucking <laughs> deal. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's trippy about stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I I did did see him uh, a few days after he got killed. I saw him in a dream where he was, yeah, was he was checking out this trippy ass painting of uh, maybe five or six Abraham Lincolns done all abstract, like some some sixty psychedelic thing, and he's checking out the colors. Yeah, he's looking at it, and it was like I had to go tell him that he couldn't be here anymore. He's killed. Wow. Yeah, it was really weird. And then the other uh, strange incidents was uh, his brother uh, gave me uh, two of his guitars and one of them was in, well, they were both in the wreck, but one of them, uh, I never opened it ah. for years and years. And it had a leather strap. And when I opened it, the smell off the strap hit me and I could see him for like a second.
3: Ooh. Just
1: see him. Because I think smell is uh, some trippy connections. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah there's things like that but music is just a trippy way as humans connect yeah and i think that stuff i got with him as a boy i just never lost
0: right yeah he uh he was ahead of his time or or maybe he was of his time but he's one of these people whose legend grows more and more the longer he's gone you know because there like you said there weren't that many people who were yeah. paying close attention to the minutemen and now you guys are like legendary and he's not here to enjoy any of it um i'm curious you've mentioned so many You're times at him. you oh, know oh, here's
1: another thing about him you don't know how many times john he was pulled off the stage by the bouncers when we're getting ready to play why they didn't believe he was in the band. <laughs> i could you see that I mean? didn't look like the guy who was supposed <laughs> to be in the rock band no <laughs> but he did it anyway and he played his heart out and i think yeah. that was really endearing to the people who saw it i could see that not not, not to like blow smoke up his ass or anything but d Boone was earnest yeah he was an artist yeah and it, so, so what he wasn't born with the correct rock and roll body yeah i think that was a trippy thing on people yeah it was i mean i look like a fucking dork even more but <laughs> there was something about d Boone was like what the fuck yeah. and this guy means it <laughs> yeah so
0: i think that's kind of it that nail that you nailed it that is it that's absolutely it yep You've mentioned several times uh, in here and in other places how much Blue Oyster Cult and CCR mean to you. Yes. I've had Stu Cook on here a couple of times, and I'm curious, I love them too. Why Why CCR? Why are they special to you?
1: And then did you ever meet any of them? No, but John Fogarty wrote me a note after d Boone got killed. Some kid was working on a video. I think it was the old man down the road video. Uh huh. And he told him what happened. And John Fogarty knew about us. And he um, wrote on a note. It's it's on the Fire Hose album. If it on the label, it says Mike, Keep On Keeping On." That's right. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah there, there was something. Okay, for one thing, D. Boone liked him, so I had to like him. Okay? Uh, got it. Okay. <laughs> but but there was something about him because yeah, he was everybody thinks country, but that that's only one part. There's swamp. There's R and B. There's boogie. There's a lot of fucking Scotty Moore in there. Yeah, he was really influenced. But then, yes, I'm about Buck Dharma. He really got into Buck Dharma. Huh. So his and then later on, Pete Townsend. Yeah. So it's just weird kind of three way uh, influence on his guitar playing. John Fogarty,
3: yeah.
1: Buck yeah. Dharma, Pete Townsend, and then when the punk rockers come, you know, it's like like Pat Smear and there was a guy over in England. Uh, His name, Wilco Johnson, Mm. playing Dr. Feelgood. Yeah, this really abstract way of playing, but it was still kind of R&B, blues. Just, uh, D. Boone was really, and here's the other thing. When it came to politics, for D. Boone, it wasn't really about the words. He said the words was just thinking out loud. He thought the real political thing of the Minutemen was, and he got this idea from R&B bands, playing really trebly and clipped. So more drums and bass guitar could get up there. Uh. uh egalitarian cause arena rock was all guitar dominated. And he didn't like this hierarchy. He wanted more balanced and of course I was into that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. Georgie was too, you know. And but that was D Boone's idea. And he, he and he let go. No no big fat power chords, no fuzz tones. Yeah. You know? uh, this really trebly kind of playing, <clears throat> all to make room for me and Georgie. That's amazing. Yeah, it's very lean and mean.
0: And speaking of lean and mean, <clears throat> excuse me. I want to ask you specifically in I was re-watching the documentary We Jam O'Cono to get ready to talk to you. And you yeah. talk in there about how people sometimes get the name of the band wrong. It's not minute men because the songs are short. It's minute men. And can yeah. you can you explain
1: that to us what you mean by that? Well, you know, people would asked me for a list of names and that was what well minute. It was uh, us compared to arena rock band.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, the big men and the minute men, the tiny, <laughs> right. tiny. But then he said, no, man, put the bo- both words together to make Minutemen, because there's some, I don't know, k- kooks they are appropriating patriotic mm. names and stuff. And if we call ourselves the same thing, we'll dilute it. Yeah, there was a, a Konitz God, this guy—he'd make—I uh, don't know what you call them. They were like uh, installations, and one was called oh, Bar- for- Barney's Beanery, and everybody had had clocks for faces, <laughs> and on the st- on the fucking jukebox was Minutemen in a militant mood. Yeah, these guys were mm-hmm. kind of, kind of, uh... you know. The- another group came in the late '90s and took that name again, and they were. Uh, they, they were embezzling money and stuff like this and broke up again. But because it happened to us, some people were thinking we were part of these kooks. Oh, these other kooks. But that's where the name, de- name came from. It was I was trying to make fun of our, ourselves as uh, not an arena rock band. And D Boone was trying to uh, use it to dilute some people appropriate and patriotic. I try to always remember the words he said.
0: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <hard>.
1: Because sometimes Steve <laughs> would use serious words. Uh huh. It, it would be great, you know, because we're from working people and stuff, and I just right. I just loved it. Yeah, he goes appropri- trying to appropriate patriotic symbols. <laughs> we will pollute this, and I said okay. <laughs> he was really a revolution. I mean, you mentioned that for
0: guys, little guys from Pedro. For him to have that the world view that he did at that age at that time that's really special. I mean talking about things that made D. Boone special that's one of them you yeah
1: know? you know yeah. we're boys we're boys in the 60s. yeah all this stuff is happening in the streets with the uh, you know civil rights and the war and free speech and but we're we're, we're just boys yeah so at the time we get uh, you know we're 13 in 1970. So our whole teenage life is the 70s. And it wasn't the same as the 60s, right. but I think it, it got some kind of some values got in there and weird thing. And maybe why we were even attracted to the movement in the first place seemed like some artistic ways of trying to do expression. I could see that. No, um, oh, he was a painter. He was a sensitive guy that way. And, and then when we found out about stuff like from Raymond Pettibone about uh, surrealism and Dada and then uh, bebop, jazz. You know, we didn't know about that stuff either. Mm-hmm. When Raymond played me fucking Ascension, I thought John Coltrane was a mm-hmm. punk rocker. I thought I thought he was older. I didn't know he was dead. I knew nothing. <laughs> you know, I come from Navy housing. I know nothing about that scene. Right. But I got totally pulled into it. Yeah. There was a lot of interesting people. I mean, you could tell socially they were weird and strange. Uh-huh. and names and clothes. But they were really deep into shit and artistic shit, and, yeah. uh, including music. So we learned a lot from these people 30 miles north of Pedro.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can imagine, that's amazing. Tell me what, um and maybe you just touched on it, what does We Jam Econo mean? Is that going back to this idea of kind of the minimalism and the leaving space for all the instruments to be heard? What
1: does it mean exactly to you? Yeah, sure, well, it has a lot of layers. Mm-hmm. From, from one thing, it's just being pragmatic. It's like... That, you make the tent so it can fit the dream. You know, mm. you don't have to do just because these other bands spent money to do it this way. You don't have to do it that way, mm. you know, because maybe you don't have those kind of means. And if you, you know, and if you do come for working background, right. You can have, learn that stuff uh, as a way of growing up. And so we just, it was kind of a, a, a philosophy to, to let the Minuteman be. The, the other idea was he kind of on the fucking, Whatever brand, the sound.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: D-Boot said we should be able to play anything we can, and they'll still be able to know it's Minuteman. Mm-hmm. The thing, it, yeah, it's the materialist trappings, which I guess means even kind of a, a motifs, you know, a, a ska. Yeah. You know. <laughs> do you really want to hear a ska version of the entire Tommy album? <laughs> <laughs> it that can't be. It. it can't be done. You know? <laughs> That's great uh. yeah. so so th- 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 we're looking at it number one is just yeah doll- dollars and cents bang for buck right mm-hmm. most mm-hmm. bang for the buck record yeah. the songs in order like it was a gig then you don't have to pay money for sequencing mm-hmm. you do it on the downtime from midnight to, uh, to six because it's half price mm-hmm. you buy it, you use used tape mm-hmm. it's $75 for 15 minutes instead of 150 that's shit like this that's, Th- great. that's That's jamming econo you know And yeah. uh, we got it from the van the van was called the econo line, 40 uh-huh. econo line they stopped making them in 2014 I still got the one from 2005 and this idea that, that you know somehow they're celebrating being able to do things and, and it's not really cheap right because the idea of, I remember my pop scene buy it right buy it once
3: Mm. nice that's more
1: than like just going to a 99 cent store and getting sick on whatever shit (laughs) it's about bang for buck you know it's also about like you were saying how the new music is make it spare make it lean no filler yeah Yeah. so we did on a whole bunch of I actually put it in a song that's where it comes from Mm -hmm. it's in the politics of time a song on the Double
0: nickels on the dime. That's right, yeah.
1: one of the only tunes I do the vocals for. Yeah. Say we Jamie Connell. That's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, I, uh, so let me, okay, one other you know, question. I, I gotta tell you, I didn't pick that. The guys who made that document, uh, documentary, uh, Keith Sharone and Tim Orwin, they were too young to see us. They mm-hmm. only knew Firehose. So making that documentary in a way was their way of learning about the Minuteman. I could see that. And, and, and so that's, they actually chose that title. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. interesting. Okay. So that, when they, they learned about us, that was like kind of their take on us. Yeah. That's what made us us. Yeah. So,
0: well, it clearly, it absolutely does. That's why I asked because it's a, not only is it the name of the documentary, but it is a perfect summary of what I imagined Minutemen being. And I was curious if you felt that way and what defined that for you. Um, because, I mean, Minutemen were, and a lot of those punk bands, it wasn't, you've touched on this, it's not just the sound or the DIY attitude, it's a, there's a philosophy, there's an ethos there, that's, you you mean it, you know, you, you mean something more than just the, the music, it's about more than that. And uh, I think you can summarize a lot of that with the Minutemen in just saying We Jam Econo for all the reasons you mentioned. Um, yeah. I wonder,
1: oh, go where, ahead. where Michael took uh, the title from his book, Yeah, that's you guys as well. That's, yeah, title of a song, uh, Off Double Nickels on the Dime. Uh, Well, it's not the title. The title's History Lesson Part Two, but our band could be your life. This is Bob Dylan to me. My
4: story could be... Everybody
1: awesome. at some point has to be kind of about something. <laughs> it's right? true. Right? Your time, your yeah. patience, your, your you know, you're your, your fucking getting it together. I mean, everybody can relate no matter what situation you were born into. Yeah. So we thought there was kind of a universal, universality about this and why people like rhythm. Mm-hmm. There's certain things that music can get across and... The idea we Jeremy You know, because think about it. What came first, dancing or drums? You know, maybe the feet were like the first mm. drumsticks. And the, the the earth was the first drum. Yeah, good point. Okay, talking about
0: economy. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, okay, one story. I, I, I wanted to reread your chapter of that book before we talked, and I can't find my copy of it anywhere, so I didn't get to do it. But I think I remember you telling the story of how you guys, how many times it took you to get the cover of Double Nickels perfect. Wasn't it that you had to drive down the freeway, be exactly at 55 miles an hour and have the San Pedro sign in the window all at the same time. Is that right? Can you retell that story? And my eyes
1: had to be in the rear view mirror. (laughs) Okay, now this is, John, this is the days of film. There's no digital shit. right? You just you're rolling. You know, baby needs a new pair of shoes. You're just rolling the dice.
4: Right. So it's
1: it's downtown L.A. where the I-10 and then Harbor Freeway and I-5 all, they all meet down there. And there's some signs that say San Pedro. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so what we did was I had my buddy Dirk Vandenberg in the back seat of my Volkswagen with the camera, and we did three passes. And we didn't know. <laughs> we just I, I said, you know, now, now. Yeah, you know, I get the speedometer right on. I to get my eyes. He had to frame the shot. The, the thing is, one of them actually came out where the name Pedro was there. Yeah, I, in the middle mirror, it's fifty-five miles an hour because that's what the title means. It means uh-huh. drop exactly fifty-five miles. D. Boone was upset about this uh, Sammy Hagar guy. Mm. He said he wouldn't drive fifty-five, but he was making D. Boone thought kind of safe. Whatever pop uh-huh. music. Uh-huh. So Dave Boone said, hey, why don't we drive safe and make crazy music? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's great.
1: We're crazy making safe music. So anyway, well, that's where the dial came from. Yep. And so what happened, we gave it to SST. The guy who cropped the picture cropped off part of the O. Oh, man. He had the other side, the port side. Starboard side had the whole, we got the whole shot. Yeah. <laughs> So that just shows you about, it's called the Law of Unintended Consequences. <laughs>
0: That's great. I just oh. right there to his job. Yeah,
1: yeah, I get it. I
0: get it. Um, okay, look, we should talk about fire hose for a minute. It couldn't have been easy after your best friend dies to pick back up the pieces and decide to keep, keep it on in terms of music. But thankfully you did. tell I mean, was that difficult for you or was it sort of like, you know, I'm back doing the thing I'm good at. Yeah, my best buddy's
1: not here, but at least I can continue. You know, how are you feeling? i tell you, John, was was the worst time of my life. Yeah. Worst time of my life. And I got to give a lot of credit to Ed from Ohio from coming out. You know, I didn't know you had to pay to have your phone number not in the phone book. So he found it and he just drove out and helped me. Seven and a half years. Georgie, too. You know 14 years all together with Minuteman with Georgie yeah. and those both those guys really helped me through the hardest fucking time at first I, I just stopped playing and then yeah. Thurston got me to play some bass on the Sonic Key thing and we did a uh, single called Chicone You. And Madonna works, you see. Right. But that fire hose, we did 20 tours, seven records, and basically it was just getting me on back on the horse. Mm-hmm. Trying not to think about it too much, almost a cruise control.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think it was really rough on Edward, you know, because him and D Boone were different kinds of guys. But in another way, Edward's such a hard charger and, re- and really helped me get through that. Yeah. Oh my God. That, that was really tough. Yeah, I bet. Sometimes I can't even listen to the music of those days because uh, it's nothing against uh, Georgie and Edward and all those people who came to the gigs and stuff, but the, those times were really hard for me.
3: Hmm.
1: I really didn't think people wanted to hear me play without Neboo. Yeah. Well, I don't, I mean, you are
0: consistently on all these lists of the greatest bass players of all time, and you've managed to maintain this long career. Like we were saying, based on your chops and your street cred. So clearly, you were wrong. People want to hear Mike Watt continuously. You know, it's kind of well, that's, amazing.
1: That's what Thurston said. So he, yeah. He gave me Kim's bass. He says, not uh, play. Yeah, you know, it's funny. When the Sonic Youth does a copy song, they play to the fucking record. Yeah. <laughs> he gives me Kim's bass. He goes, okay, I want you to play to this bubblegum, this Kim Fowley song, bubblegum. Uh huh. I said, well, aren't you going to play? <laughs> he play the fucking record. I played to the fucking record. But, you know, he got me back on the horse. And Edward and Georgie, what beautiful brothers, you know, yeah. play with me those at that time and, and keep me afloat. You can say, yeah, I'm, I'm a little self-motivated and stuff like that, but I've also been lucky to be around really good people, John. Have. I can imagine. That's clearly a sign of your career. Yep. Very grateful to that. You know, in a way, bass is like glue, you know? Yeah. And if you got, you got nothing to stick to, you're just a fucking puddle. Yeah. yeah. You know, you need, that's almost the politics of this instrument. You know, you look good making other cats look good. And, and I don't really mind that. I think that's kind of happening. Right. I'm very grateful to D Boone's ma. You know, I thought it was a fucking guitar with four strings. I didn't know they were bigger. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's great. Well, but you you play it like a lead instrument. I mean, you're not, some, you know this, you're not somebody who sits back in the pocket and just plays well, the riff. You're all over
1: the place. Jack, Jack Bruce. Yeah, yes, that's it, Jack, Jack Bruce. Bruce. You know, I was playing in Mobile the day he died. It was nighttime for us. And man, that hit me hard after the gig. You know, I, I, I got at this buddy's pad named Todd, and uh, you know, bourboned up and shit. And you know, mm-hmm. where you get on the YouTube.com and you start listening to the old songs. Absolutely. And the the White Room and the Tales of Brave Ulysses. Yes. Crossroads, where he rolls fucking Eric Clapton. Ugh. And I, uh, it tore me up. But sometimes you don't realize until something like that happens how much you owe you owe people.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's so true.
1: It just makes me want to try harder. Yeah, well, think of all the people
0: who owe you. I mean, you are the Jack Bruce of a lot of people's lives. That's kind of heavy, you know? It's weird about life. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. Uh, okay, talking about people we love, how did you become a member of the Stooges? How did you come to work with Iggy?
1: Yeah, well, the Stooges, well, it was the Ashton brothers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Speaking and- of people who we miss, right? Both those okay. guys. Big time. And Brother Steve on the sax. Yeah. You know, those guys. I was finally the youngest guy in the band. (laughs) (laughs) And I never had big brothers, right? Me, D. Boone, and George, you all first born and stuff. So it was a very, very interesting way to be, you know, Mm -hmm. on a lot of levels, you know. But what it was, was a sickness almost killed me in 2000. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's on my Hoop page. Yeah, I read about it okay, I couldn't play bass because they had tubes in me, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I hadn't stopped playing bass since I started with D. Boone's Ma, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when they finally take the tubes out, I can't play worse shit. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I thought this was supposed to be like a fucking bike, right?
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> right away, I get to work on Stooges. You know, there's not a lot mm-hmm. of chord changes, but uh, there's a lot of feel. And yeah. So it's, it's all over and over and over. And uh well, just at this time, Jay Mascus makes this record where he played everything. And he, he said, you know, I don't want to sing every song every night. Why will you come? Well, what I did when I, I got strong enough, I asked Jay to get Murph from Dinosaur and just do some gigs of all Stooges songs. Mm. Uh, one at Brownies and one at the Shittin' Factory. And then I asked Peter and, and, and Perk from Porno for Pyros on the West Coast here to do to, to some. Mm-hmm. Just, just to do, you know, get on the saddle, sort of like what I did with Edward uh, after D Boone, right? Yeah. So it's the same kind of thing. Well, so Jay takes me on tour, and then when we're in, we're in Ann Arbor, now Ronnie would come to my gigs. The uh, Colonel would take mm-hmm. him, you know, and, uh, see at St Andrews and shit, and then I also did a film soundtrack with him for a movie called Velvet Goldmine. Oh sure, yeah, I love that one. I forgot you were a part of that. I think Todd Haynes and one guy played kind of a David Bowie guy. One guy played kind of a Kurt Cobain guy.
0: That's one of my favorite soundtracks ever. That's right. I love it.
1: Ronnie sitting right across from me, right? Playing TV. I blow my fucking mind. Mm -hmm. This isn't the record. This is the guy. Right. So anyway, we come through Ann Arbor, and Jay says, hey, you know Ronnie, why don't you call him up? Because we're playing this place, The Blind Pig. Okay, Ronnie comes down. We do like fucking eight, nine Stooges songs with him. Mm -hmm. And Jay asks Ronnie, hey, will you come on tour with us? And we do like half, two-thirds a set of Jay's stuff. And then Ronnie, come on, we do the rest Stooges. Mm -hmm. Well, it gets to a point, all tomorrow's parties. They were starting to do those things. They were in England, but now they were starting to do them in the U.S. And Thurston uh, curated one. Again, he's my, in my life. Mm-hmm. At UCLA. And he says, hey, Scotty's living in his truck. Why don't we rent him a drum set? And you and Jay can play with both Ashton brothers. So this thing called Ashton, Ashton, Mascus, and Watt. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do that gig. And then some gigs in Europe. And that's where Ig hears about it. And Ig calls Ronnie for the first time in 29 years. Wow. What's actually a, co- a combination of my sickness and Jay Mascus is what led to the reunion. Now, when it came to this Coachella gig in March 2003, I, I'm on tour with my second man. I'm in Tallahassee. hmm And they've recorded a couple songs, three songs, I think, for Ig's Skull Ring album. Mm-hmm. Now the guy offered to play a gig, and Ig wanted to use that bass player that was in that. uh, I think he called that band the Trolls. Right, that's right. Okay, okay. So Ronnie fights for me. No way. This call, yeah. Well, I, I don't. You know, I don't know about this, right? You know, I love Stooges. I Mm -hmm. yeah, Stooges. But I get this call after sound check. It was, I think, the second Cowhouse in Tallahassee, and it's Ig. Mm. And Ig says, uh, "Mike, Ronnie says you're the man." <laughs> I fucking couldn't believe it. Looked at that phone. You know, first of all, hey, it's a kid. I'll call from Ig, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. bartender guy, right? And I'm like, what? And then that's the thing he said. Now I had played a little with him. These three songs with the, two of the guys from, uh, these Swedish guys, Hives. Mm, Cause yes. I two Love some, them. Because Ig was on some, like, game show uh, voting kind of thing. And uh-huh. Th- th- so th- this, th- it's weird how all this happened around the same time, okay? Right. But it kind of, that's the way things like this shit happens. That's why I say I'm open-minded about whatever the fuck things happen and why they happen. No. Right, right. Anyway, so So he says, Ronnie says, you're the man. He said, "Would you do me a favor?" I said, "What?" He said, "Would you wear a t-shirt instead of a flannel?" And I said, "Fuck yeah, <laughs> it means John Fucking idea anyway." I said, "What about Levi and Converse?" And he goes, "That's strong." <laughs> okay, and then he starts talking about you know light show and stuff and him wow. having a nightmare about the drummer in lime green and the bass player in orange and some shit. And so finally, he gets to the music. He goes, "Now look." However we end the songs, that's how we're gonna end them.
3: Uh-huh.
1: And I was and he hangs up and I was like, what the fuck did that mean? <laughs> but then I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going over the songs in my head because I'm gonna meet these guys in two weeks. I leave my band in Memphis and I fly back to California to do this Cal- Coachella game. And I realized the first album has got a lot of fade outs, right? because he had to write mm-hmm. Chelsea. So that's what he was talking about. you know, we're not going to end with fucking fade outs, right. So we do this practice. Now, I got sick on the way, on the airplane flight, but I didn't tell them. It was like a 20-foot pool cue up my fucking Yang. Oh, boy. I'm in this practice room in Hollywood, SIR. It's all mirrors. It's both Ashton Brothers and Ig and me. And, man, it's like a gig. Ig's jumping around yeah. and singing. Here's the, Stooges' music, and I'm like, whoa. <sighs> you know, and I'm just trying to hang on, just counting, keeping on the parts. Sometimes there'd be a little thing. Roddy, show them what it is. You know, okay. <laughs> Scotty, show them where it is. Nice. Here, I'll show you where it is. You know, Ig is like running. Ig is such a great cat at running practice, you would not fucking believe. I believe not it. Because he, he read good stage show. Mm-hmm. He runs great practice. Yeah, he's the he's the fucking bow of the boat, man. Yeah, yeah. And, and anyway, that gig... This next day, we're out in the desert. The wind blows over Ronnie's amps. Oh, man, it's blowing. The sickness won't leave me. I start shaking. Oh, no. And Flee and Mackay and Flea's, like, hugging me. Then Flea says, you know what? Our nurse gives us vitamin B when we got some kind of sickness like this. And it takes, like, 20 minutes to get this shit in my ass. They (laughs) they give me a hypodermic in the ass of this. And the shaking stops. They put me in a golf cart. I go up there. The gig's fucking done. <laughs> I, couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. It's the fucking Stooges. And I'm, I'm part. I remember Ig stopped us in dirt. And he goes up to me, Mike, are we in the right key? And I said, yeah. He goes, <laughs> he started again. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't believe this shit was happening. Yeah. You know, you yeah. are in the moment. But you got to be part of making it happen. Yeah. Can't be just witnessing it. I love it. So it, it was, you know, you got to be the keel, right? Yeah. It, the fucking bow, you got to be the keel and fucking, you know, Scotty's got the oars and Ronnie's got the fucking rudder. Steve, brother Steve, he didn't even practice with us. He just came up there and was blowing. And then, you know, like I said, 125 months. Yeah. No one ever knew it was going to lead to that.
0: Yeah. I saw you guys here in Denver where I live at the Fillmore. Um, Oh, yeah. Uh, I on one of those tours
1: and it, it was it 2007, 2007
0: yes and uh it's one of these experiences that kind of frustrates me because i misjudged when the concert was going to start and i missed like half of it and so i only got in for the last half and it, i was so angry because that was a dream come true
1: seeing you guys on and that you, tour the
3: opening,
1: you, the opening band was these uh, oakland girls, uh, ladies named sisters in the pit. You would have loved that oh, man. man. See, I missed the whole thing he Asked me for advice about an opening act. And I said, how about these Oakland ladies? Mm. And He was like, yeah i am into that Mike. You know, he's got a radio show on the BBC. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He turns people on to Yeah, he's he's happening cat man. They all yes. were yeah with the history uh, uh, Scotty with nature my brother Steve with the politics, the most interesting gentleman I've ever been with in my life, and then played this incredibly, uh, you know, this is first-hand shit. This is like going right to the well. This right. is not, you know <laughs> what I mean? It's it's the dealio yeah,
3: yeah the
1: old guy on the porch.
3: Yeah,
0: you, you, know, you um, were you, were you happy with the weirdness, the album you guys made together?
4: Look at me. I see your long legs riding your knees. I see your hair has energy. My dick is turning into a tree. I got the
1: I cherished every moment I but I was so scared to do that record. I bet. I, wa- I want to be buried at sea, but I had this nightmare of this gravestone and it just said fucked up with Stooges record.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. Steve got yeah. is a very nice guy. Good, good, I'm glad. Yeah, I am I uh it was not I that album's okay. There's some good moments and there's some low moments, but it was just nice to have everybody back. You know? you
1: know i'm just so close to it i can't i just love being with him
0: yeah i bet um yeah. okay one thing one last thing i wanted to ask you about is uh yeah. going back to the improvisation it seems like the last 20 years or so especially you really are getting off with improvising with other musicians and i was listening to the hand to man band And, oh yeah, and uh, there's some good stuff on there, and again, there's some weird stuff too that's a little over my head. How do you? What's your philosophy going into improvisation?
1: Is for it? That, uh, how does it I'm work? I did for that, that. That was a quartet. I was invited three days in uh, t- Austin, Texas, hmm. and uh, yeah, just going at it. A lot of that's sort of like the Miles, smiles on the corner stuff. Yeah, where they right. get a lot of performances, and then in the cutting room. They piece these things together. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really as part of that. I was more of the guy. I was more of the wheat that got gets it. baked into the bread. <laughs> Again, John, it's another a way of rolls. I, I don't always want to be the rudder guy. Mm-hmm. But I, I like being part of, and especially improvisation. What I've learned about that stuff is you really got to be a good listener.
3: Yeah, Oh, I can
1: imagine. <clears throat> yeah, so it doesn't sound like a bunch of whack-off, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's still a, even with improvisation. There's a sense of the tune. Yeah, but then there's this hybrid shit too. Like especially when I'm working with Nels Klein where I write the songs and then he gives it the first take. You know, mm-hmm. treatment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Don't mm-hmm. do any rehearsing, any uh, development of things. He write in the moment, so that's kind of a hybrid thing. That's the whole. Contemplating the Engine Room Opera.
3: Yes. Yeah. Great album.
1: And, and the same with Steve Hodges, the drummer man. They had no idea of any of those parts of that piece until the day we did them. Mm. I wanted, I wanted, yeah, because sometimes you want to get out. You know, if I wanted, here's the thing about being with D Boone. All my music could be going through him. Mm. But if I didn't have that anymore, then why do everything have to be versions of the same trip. Why can't every adventure be as different as I can make it?
3: Good so that's, point.
1: That's after D. Boone, and even after Firehose. Yeah. I remember one time when I showed Edward uh, Piss bottle Man.
4: There are some things a guy gets from his body Some of those things get spaced. Others never forgot I got such a tradition I keep in my truck can
1: Michael, you think this is a song that this band should be playing? <laughs> and I thought about it. I go, you know, maybe Edward's right. I have a different proj. Yeah, because I had learned this other way, John. Everything goes through my guy.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But not, now that's gone. Right. So maybe I should have different prodges for different trips.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. All the different sides of your personality, all your different moods.
1: I got to tell you this, too, John. The technology facilitated that. I yeah. made out. With dudes I've never even met. <laughs> I couldn't do this shit in the old days.
0: <laughs> how how does that work? Do they just email you and say, "I'm a big fan, and this is what I do,
1: and yeah, I'd love it's you to just, play"? And interest in and stuff. It's like, and then I, I'll play on it. Oh. The, the way I look at it, whenever I play, whatever the sitch, I'm invested in the next time I'm going to play. Mm. So it's never wasted. Never wasted. Not even if that shit don't get used. I still had to develop. I had to listen to it, come up with a part execute it i think it's all part of being a real bass player and not you know leaning back and saying hey i was d boone's bass player right. I, I have to make it real in the moment i right. can't just use the old d- days you know he was righteous dude to do what he did and so he shouldn't be, be dick leached on you know mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: that's what, what i believe personally i could see that Uh, Okay.
0: Well, look, you've been generous with your time and uh, this is kind of a, this is amazing thrill getting to talk to you. I love it. I want to close it out with two things. Number one, I want to know what your favorite story is. When you look back at 40 years, tell us one of your, one of the stories that is just like, you wouldn't believe how great this story is. If you, you've got to have one, tell me what it is. And then secondly, I want to know, I've never, speaking of people I've never quite understood. I've never come around to Captain Beefheart. It's too weird for me, but I know you love him. So did yeah. you ever meet Don? Did you
1: ever? No, but I talked to him on the phone. You did? Okay. Tell me about it. Well, Christine McKenna had him on the phone. This is in the late 80s. And people are calling up, right? I'm the last caller, it turns out. And I ask him about Strictly Personal. When you open it up, they're all wearing them fucking masks. I said, that used to scare me. Man, what was that about? And he goes, oh, that was just stuff laying around. <laughs> <laughs> it was scary, he said. But that was my talking with him. And my favorite story is probably how I met D Boone. If you saw that we Jammy Kano die, mm-hmm. he jumps out of a tree. That's right. You know about this? I had, my pop got orders to go on the Enterprise, and that's up Malamita. My mom said, fuck, no more moving. Uh-huh. We had come from Virginia, right? And anyway, I can't live in the Navy house anymore. So we moved to these newer kind of projects that had just been built. And it shared this big park, Peck Park, with an older project. That's where D Boone was living. Well, he's playing with his buddies, you know. He's up in a tree. You know, I'm just walking around by myself, and I guess his buddies had left him. He jumped out. D-Boone had really bad eyesight, big Coke bottle glasses. So he jumps, he goes, you're not Eskimo. <laughs> I guess Eskimo was the nickname of his next-door neighbor, a really nice guy named uh, Richard Cervantes. I said, no, I, I, I got to meet later. I didn't know. But, uh, right. no, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not Eskimo, but I just moved here. You want to see where I live? So we start you know like i said his friends left him so you know this guy in his t-shirt uh uh-huh. thick glasses well you know we're 12 and i ain't heard of a uh much comedian stand up uh-huh. so we as we're walking across the uh baseball fields to show my my apartment he starts rattling off all these fucking bits <laughs> And I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, this is the smartest guy in the fucking world. <laughs> and, uh, you know. <laughs> I, Excuse I, me, sorry. You know what? I want to show you my pad. You come and see my pad tomorrow. So the next day, I go to his pad into the older projects by, by the Park Western School, out where he went to elementary. And uh, <laughs> he plays me. He had recorded off on a cassette off the television this guy, George Carlin. yeah. He didn't make up any of those bits. That was all shitty <laughs> <getting> memorized. <laughs> like D boon, like none of this was yours. It was too late. You know, it was it was already too late. I was already into him too much.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: It was mistaken idea. I mean I, I never heard it. I couldn't believe it. It was like the the, the best cover band you ever saw or something. I don't That's know. That's great. <laughs> uh, I, no Mom, that same now she played guitar, so she had D. Boom learning from guitar. This this guy Roy Mendez Lopez who lived in his car, so she said, "You guys are gonna have a band?" Now this is 1970, right? So
2: mm-hmm.
1: not a lot of guns, uh, but there's fighting and stuff. So she wants us in the in the house after school. So in a way, the band thing is just some kind of kind of child care.
0: That makes sense. So,
1: yeah. So to me, that whole story is just crazy. Yeah. But, why I'm probably talking to you today, John. Right, right. He's jumping out of that tree and mistaken me for his friend Eskimo. <laughs> that's crazy.
0: Oh, that's crazy. And here we are all this time later. Thanks to that. <laughs> that's wild. Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, last last little mention, Jumpstart Plow, Jumpstarted Plowhards. The album's called Round One. I think you're doing about five of these,
1: if, that, if I'm not right. mistaken. Okay. Yeah, well, they're eight songs. 12 inch, 45 RPMs. He thought that was the best fidelity. And I thought those were good chunks. And I told him, I'll I'll do a gig when we get 40 songs out. So that's where that number came from.
0: There you go. Okay. Well, it's great stuff and it's gonna be out, I believe at the end of October. And uh, yeah, thanks Mike for being you. Thanks for being you, Mike Watt. You're a legend. You're talking to me, John. There you have it. The one and only Mike Watt. I love that guy. He is a legend um round one the first album from the jump-started plow hearts go check it out by the way i got to see mike in concert shortly after this conversation happened it was it was amazing he and some other guys go out well he, as i mentioned there are a million different projects he has going on at any one time but he goes around as the missing men and they play Minutemen songs and i got to see that show here in denver near my house and it was so good Anyway, I'm just, I'm grateful to have had a chance to talk to a legend like him. I want to close it out with, you know, the Minuteman, everyone talks about double nickels all the time, but I want to play a song that, you know, doesn't get talked about as much. This is from their last album, Three-Way Tie for Last, and this is a song called Price of Paradise, so I hope you like it. Uh, Anyway, next week, we are talking... Next week's an interesting one. Next week, we are talking to a guy who became a replacement lead singer in one of the biggest rock bands of all time and what that experience was like. It's a unique one. I think you're going to like this, okay? Um, anyway, huge thanks, as always, to Jan the Man Malkiewicz, my right-hand man, for producing everything. Thanks, buddy, for all that you do. You guys know what to do by now. You can find us on Facebook and like our page. You can send us a message on there, or you can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at The Hustle And uh, we will be back next week with a new episode. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. We love you.